This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 28. Psalm 28. This past few Sundays during this holiday season, we have been focusing really on prayer. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at the the model prayer, what's called the Our Father prayer in Matthew 6. And then after that, we looked at John 17, the great prayer of Jesus, uh, his prayer for the church. And before that, we had looked at Christ as our our high priest and as our mediator seated at the right hand of the Father who's praying for us and interceding uh, for us. So this morning, I want to look at prayer again. Uh, Five things that prayer does for us. Five things that prayer does for us and does to us. But before we do that, let me ask a question. Why pray? Why pray? Since God is omniscient, all-seeing and all-knowing, he knows what we're going to pray for before we pray. So why pray? Since God is omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty, and can meet any and every need because he's got the wherewithal to do that. Why pray if he can do all of that? He's omnipresent, everywhere present. So he knows every moment of every day where we are, what we're facing, what we're going through. He already knows all of that. So why even bother to ask? Well, there's good reasons why we should pray. There's a lot more than five, but that's all we have time for this morning. First of all, a really good reason why we should pray is because it changes our perspective of things. It changes our perspective of things. Once we pray about something or someone, we move on to a different level, a different dimension once we do that. We're no longer solely dependent on ourselves to work this out. Often we can't work it out. Often there's nothing physically we can do about that which we're praying for. But sometimes there's things we can do and should do and ought to do, but even in those times we lift up our prayers, suddenly it's on a different level, different dimension altogether. Because when we do that, we're putting it into God's hands. We're saying, oh God, I need your help here. I'm dependent upon you. And once we do that, we're opening the door for divine intervention, for God to move on our behalf, or on behalf of the person whom we're praying for, or the situation that we're in or somebody else is in. And suddenly we realize that heaven's resources are available at that point. Now, when that happens, we begin to change our perspective. We begin to see things 
through different eyes, spiritually speaking. Over and over and over again, the Psalms, we see this pattern with the psalmist. Often he starts out complaining and he ends up rejoicing. He starts out negatively, ends up positively. Starts out moaning, complaining, angry, annoyed, confused, worried, fretting, and ends up feeling, God, you're in control. I'm going to make it through this. This is going to work. And in Psalm 28, we see something of that here. Psalm 28, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. So you can see that David, and he had his reasons for this, but he's basically having a rant. Now I know that you're too spiritual you'll never have a rant, but he's having a real rant here. He's angry. He's really upset. Stuff is happening to him. People are doing things, and he's mad. And so that's his attitude when he goes before God in prayer. And I know you would never be like that in prayer. You're just far too holy to be like that. But notice, notice how his perspective begins to change. And often you'll see this in the Psalms. The longer he prays, the more mellow he becomes the more he begins to see things differently. Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. Notice in verse 2, start off, Lord, do not be silent with me. Lord, you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're quiet. I'm getting no answer. But now he says, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my shield and my strength. My heart trusteth in him. I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. So you see how things begin to change in prayer. Regardless of how you start, if you start out brokenhearted or you're shattered and there's something annoying you or you're in deep trouble and you're making a you know you're having a real go at God but if you keep praying you begin to change your perspective changes in Psalm 42 just a little way along as the deer pants for the water brooks so my soul, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Notice how he's bouncing back and forward. Do you ever do that in your prayers? <laughs> you start out negative, then you get a bit more positive, and then before you know it, you're back to negative again. This is the way he's doing Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God, to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I'll skip a couple of those. Look at Psalm 73. This is a, another psalmist, Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they says, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. <laughs> He's not a happy camper, is he? <laughs> He's having a real moan here, isn't he? You know, he, he, here's basically what he's saying. He says, you know, I, I, I'm serving God. And look at me. And look at those who don't, who even hates God. Look at how better off they are compared to me. There's no pangs in their death. Look at how prosperous they are. And I'm serving God. Have I washed my hands in, in innocence? Have I, is all this for vain? So negative. He's so down here. But then he begins to change. If I had said, I will speak thus. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. 
Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me with you hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Again and again and again, we see perspective changing in prayer. And although yours may have not been as dramatic as that, I guarantee you that at some point in your prayers, your perspective changed and you began to not just moan and groan, but actually praise God and worship God and thank God and believe God and trust God for what's coming in the future for you. Secondly, it enables us to go beyond the earthly into heavenly realms. There's a world out there beyond our eyes, invisible to us, yet it's very, very real. God is in his heaven. We are on the earth. And between heaven and earth, there is a world, a spirit realm. And as believers, it's a world, that world, that we have to contend with. Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 17, where he talks about principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And he's talking about a hierarchy of black forces, demonic forces in the heavenlies. And there is that for sure. The Bible makes it clear. But there are also angelic hosts and forces in the heavenlies beyond all of our sight. But it's there, and it's very, very real. The Bible throughout Scripture makes this clear for us. And those spirits and those angels influence have influence on earth influence people, influence governments, influence whole nations, even though they may be unaware of it. And we can show you that from Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you know it well, but just let me just quickly remind you how that the king of Syria was planning attacks against the king of Israel. Elisha was the prophet in those days. And God began to show Elisha all of the plans that the king of Syria was making with his generals against Israel. And he told the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was able to head them off at the pass. He was able to cause those attacks not to come to fruition. And the king of Syria was mad at it. And he says, there's a traitor in the camp. Somebody is telling the king of Israel what my plans are. And his general says, no, my lord, 
There's a prophet in Israel called Elisha. And he can tell what you're speaking even in your bedroom. God speaks to this man. And he got more mad. And he sent an army to Dothan where Elisha was living to arrest him and bring him to Syria, no doubt to kill him. And when they got there, they surrounded Dothan. And early that morning, Elisha's young helper went out, probably to fetch some water. And he looked up all around the hills. He saw this mighty army. And his heart sank. And he ran in and he says, Alas, master, what shall we do? <laughs> we are greatly outnumbered. And Elisha prayed. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I can see. And he went out again. And his eyes were opened. And he saw a great angelic host of fiery chariots surrounding the enemies, the army of Israel. And he said, there's more with us than there is with them. Hallelujah. And it gave us a little insight into what's out there beyond our natural senses and beyond our sight. The great classic example of this is in Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was his uh, Babylonian name is his name in captivity that they had given to him. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. That's what they call the Daniel fast, where he didn't eat any dinties or anything like that. He just survived in the most meager of ration. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. They didn't see, but they felt, they sensed. And probably having a look at Daniel, what was happening to him, frightened the living daylights out of them. So they ran and hid themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. And suddenly a hand touched me, made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, Oh, did I turn over? Oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. From the very moment he prayed, the answer was on its way. Even though he had to wait three weeks. Sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray and you wonder, why doesn't God just do this immediately? (laughs) Well, there's other reasons why prayers can be hindered or held up or delayed. But sometimes it's something that's happening in the heavenlies. And so the angel said, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. This is not a human prince he's talking about. This is a demonic prince, a principality and a power in the heavenlies over that region. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, the warrior angel, no doubt it was Gabriel who came to with the message to Daniel because he was the messenger angel. You see him in the New Testament coming to Mary and Joseph. But he was hindered and blocked by these princes of Persia. So he sends for Michael, one of the chief princes. He came to help me, for I've been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And by the way, it did. Thousands of years later, all of the vision is not fulfilled. Some of it's right into the very future from where we are. And when I had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? And as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, Oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So then he spoke to me, and I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. There's another strong, high-ranking demonic force over that Grecian empire would come. But I will tell you what is not what is noted in the scripture of truth. For no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so we see that our prayers are vehicles to transport us from the earthly to the heavenly. I don't mean literally by the way. Sometimes that happened literally in the Bible, but I don't mean literally. I mean spiritually. But understand that between us here and God in heaven, there's a world out there beyond our sight that very often comes into play whenever we pray. Thirdly, it helps us know the mind of God. Whenever we draw near to God in prayer, He draws near to us. And he begins to reveal his mind to us, his wisdom, his direction, his understanding, his favor, his voice, his instructions. And so while we pray, he can, through various means, 
reveal his will to us. And what a wonderful thing that is, that Almighty God in heaven can speak to us through various ways and guide us and direct us. We don't always get it right. We don't always listen well. Sometimes we hear and we don't obey. Sometimes we don't listen and we go ahead because we're human. But the idea of prayer is that for God can direct us and draw near to us as we draw near to him. In Acts chapter 13, relating to the early church, Verse 1, now in the church that was at Antioch, excuse me, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lysias of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and sent them away. And they had been sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and then on to Cyprus and so forth. And so here was a, a time of prayer in the church, the early church. They needed direction. They needed guidance in order to send out those who would evangelize and to minister and to preach in different areas. And so they prayed and they fasted and they waited until the Holy Spirit spoke. Maybe that was through a prophetic word. Maybe that was through uh, maybe a feeling between them that this is what they should do. But it was guided by the Holy Spirit. And so the mind of God, because they prayed and they fasted, they sought the Lord, they found the mind of God regarding who to send. And they sent out Paul and Barnabas to the work that the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. In Acts chapter 1, you remember how Jesus, he had been risen from the dead for 40 days. He had shown himself alive by many infallible proofs, met with those disciples several times, uh, then came in the 40th day whenever he, from the Mount of Olives, he ascended back up to be with the Father. And they stood there gazing, Angel says, why are you standing gazing? This Jesus that you saw go up, he'll come back in like manner, that very spot. But Jesus already told before he left to go into Jerusalem and to wait there for the promise. And the promise would be that you would be endued with power by the Holy Spirit. And so after he went, the angel spoke, then he went into Jerusalem. And he went into that upper room. So verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in the prayer, in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Hmm. Uh, just a few comments on that. 
you know that there is a little bit of business to be done. The, the 12 apostleship, Judas had went out and hung himself after betraying Jesus. So there was one short. And so they drew straws. They drew lots for that, which was a common practice in those days. And Matthias was the one that was drawn to make up the 12. But apart from that, apart from that, this effectively, now they didn't know how long they were going to be there because Jesus didn't tell them. He just says, go and tarry there until you're endued with power. It could have been a day, it could have been a week, it could have been a month, it could have been six months for all they knew. He didn't say, go there to the death penalty cost. He didn't even mention that. And just to the Holy Spirit comes. That's what happened, it was 10 days. So effectively, these 10 days was a 10-day prayer meeting. Now, I'm sure they weren't praying 24-7. They had to eat. You know, they had to wash. They had certain things they had to do. Their little bit of business needed to be done. But effectively, it was a 10-day prayer meeting where they were waiting and seeking the Lord in obedience, waiting to be endued with power from on high, whatever that was going to be. They had no idea. But they were obedient, and they were praying, and they are waiting. And notice here a few things. Notice there was 120. We mentioned this just briefly the other day, so I'm not going to backtrack on that, but just to mention this. 1 Corinthians 15, when Jesus rose again from the dead, it says he appeared to above 500 brethren. Where were they? There's only 120 here. Where was the rest of them? Where was all those people that got healed? that rose from the dead even. Where were they? This is fairly representative of church life, by the way. I don't care what size your church is. I don't care if there's 10,000 in it. There'll not be 10,000 at the prayer meeting. Smallest attendant meeting in every church that I've ever known. 120 out of multitudes out of even 500 brethren. Notice there were men and women. Did you notice the order? It says man and woman. If that was today, it would say woman and man. Because more women goes to prayer meeting than men, usually. Notice there were families. Mary. and her sons. And I'm sure no doubt there was mature saints and some new believers. And what a mixture. <laughs> what a mixture. Imagine Matthew, former tax collector. And there he is there. And who's with him? Simon the Zealot, the paramilitary, the loyalist. Before he could save, he had to cut Simon's throat. Simon was a collaborator, or Matthew, I should say, was a collaborator. He, he, he worked for the Roman occupying forces. Simon the Zealot would have killed him in a heartbeat. But they both got saved, wonderfully saved. And here they are, both in the same prayer meeting. I know prayer meetings today. I'm not mentioning it, but I know prayer meetings today. And there's former 
paramilitaries on both sides in the same prayer meeting praying together. That's something of what was happening here as well. Notice there were the leaders, and if we could use the term, the laity. The leaders were there. And everybody else. And it was a powerful, powerful prayer meeting. And it was so powerful that the Holy Spirit interrupted it and came in his might and his power and shook the whole city. Helps us know the mind of God. Duncan Campbell, a free Church of Scotland minister, 1952, Easter Monday, is preaching at the Bangor Fifth Mission Convention. You have to know that Duncan Campbell was the, the man that had revivals in the Hebrides. And at this point, he was so well known, he was just constantly speaking everywhere. He just finished preaching Fifth Mission Convention, Easter sat down in the seat. All the other preachers were there. It was a convention. He was one of the speakers. And uh, as he sat down, he heard a voice saying, Burn Ray. Burn Ray. And so he put his head down. And the voice spoke again. says, Burn Ray. And he started to pray. What does this mean? Third time, voice said, burn array. And he knew what that meant. So he, he went over to the convener, secretary of the convention, and he said, I've got to go to burn array today. He says, you can't do that. You're speaking here tomorrow. He says, no. The Holy Spirit has said to me, burn array, and I've got to go today right now and the convener says well the Holy Spirit spoken to you you better go he walked off the platform went to his hotel packed his bags went to the airport and this is the day you could have done this it was way in the 50s or something went to the airport and he says could you give me a flight to Bernaray and they said there's no flights to Bernaray doesn't have an airport well, what's the nearest airport give me a flight to there he got a flight to the nearest airport Got out, he's got his cases, it was near, it was near a, a, the sea. Nobody to meet him, didn't know a sinner. He looked over, he saw a man in his fishing boat. So he took his suitcases over, and he said, excuse me, he says, how can I get to Bernaray? Here there's no plane. He says, no, and there's no roads either. <laughs> well, how am I going to get? Could you take me in your boat? And so they haggled for a... a a price. And it just so happened it was the exact amount of money he had in his pocket. So, fisherman took him to Bernaray, an island in the Hebrides. And he got there, he saw a big hill. There's nothing else. He couldn't see anybody else. There was nothing there. So he trudged up the big hill, and he got to the top of the hill, and he looked, and he saw a farmer plant a field. So he went down the other side of the hill. He was exhausted by this time. Got into the plowed field, put his two suitcases down, called the farmer over, and he says, excuse me. He says, 
could you go and tell the pastor here that Duncan Campbell has arrived? He says, there is no pastor here. He says, he left years ago. Well, I'm not a pastor for years. He says, is there an elder here? Oh, he says, there's an elder. Go and tell the elder Duncan Campbell has arrived. He didn't know a sinner in the end. He didn't know anybody. So the farmer went to, to, the, to the elder. And he says, Duncan Campbell has arrived. And the farmer says, great, I was expecting him. So the farmer went back to Duncan Campbell and says, the elder says, He's expecting you, and the meeting start tonight at 9 o'clock. He's got them all arranged. <laughs> and that night he started to preach, and a revival came to burn array. Because that elder, all that week, had been praying on his knees, God, send Duncan Campbell. We need a revival and burn array. And I don't know where he is. I don't know how to get him. You send him. One man prayed, one man heard, and a revival broke out. One man got the mind of God, one man heard the mind of God, and a revival broke out. Oh, better go quickly. It keeps us living in dependence upon God. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we need God's help. Prayer is saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the answer to this. I need your help. I need your intervention. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me. That's when you're dependent upon God. And that keeps us humble. Because, you know, there's lots of things we can't do. And there's lots of things we get used to doing, and I'm saying this, me in the ministry, there's lots of things you get used to doing. I can do this. I've been doing this a long time. I can do this. But you need to get to the place to say, God, I need your help. I really need your help. Sure, we can do lots of things, but unless God gets involved in it, it's not going to be much good, is it? It's just going to be the arm of flesh. You and I are sitting here today because somebody prayed for you. Thank you Lord. It impacts the life of others, and this is we're going to close with. It impacts the life of others. Through prayer, nations have been changed. Cities have been changed. Families, individuals have been changed because somebody prayed. The greatest revival Ireland has ever had was because four young men decided in the wintertime to go into an old schoolroom in Kells, County Antrim, and pray until God sent revival, and he did. Hallelujah. It was weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before one person came to Christ. And then another, and then another, and then another. And then more people started to pray. And then more prayed. And then more people said, in the end, they couldn't get halls big enough to hold the prayer meetings in Balamina Main Street. There was a thousand people standing, couldn't get into the churches to pray. They had to stand out in the street to pray. And 10% of our population got saved in one year. Because somebody got desperate. And somebody prayed. You and I are sitting here today because somebody prayed. Somebody wanted to see you saved. Mother, father, 
grandfather, grandmother, brother, sister, sibling, workmate, somebody wanted to see you saved. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And it looked as if you'd never get saved. It looked as if you had no interest whatsoever, and maybe you didn't have any interest whatsoever until the Holy Spirit got on your case because <laughs> somebody prayed. Let me read you this in closing. Well, before I read you this, <laughs> Susanna Wesley, 17 children. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to have 17 children. Sally lived beside a couple, and they had, was it 22, wasn't it? 21 children. 21 children. Putting them to bed at night, you're probably putting the neighbor's children to bed with them. You wouldn't you forget who you had. And all of them did well for themselves. All of them grew up grand. And she was a wee whippet of a woman too. Susanna Wesley, 17 children. And every day, for one hour, she prayed for those kids. She'd put her apron up over her head, and an apron over her head, all those children knew, don't bother mommy, she is praying. Of course, they could hear her praying too. But when she put the apron up, that was it. She was out of bounds for an hour, and she prayed for her kids. And two of them, John and Charles Wesley, became mighty, mighty men of God. She had other children who were great too. <clears throat> and, and Methodism through the Wesleys began to flood through Britain. And that revival of Methodism that gripped Great Britain at the same time when France was going through a bloody revolution where thousands were being slaughtered that could have come into Britain except those two brothers. God used them mightily. To, there's Methodist churches today all over the world. Malaysia, Philippines. Been in them, driven past them. Over 250 years ago, I think it was, Wesley came and preached outside the Church of Ireland up there. It was the established church at that time, and he had left the established church, the Church of England. They wouldn't let him preach there. The, the minister wouldn't let him preach. Preached anyway. Got up in the gravestone and preached. And then a, a lovely lady who owned the, the big home up in the domain that's no longer there, she invited him, and he used to come. I think he's maybe been here three or four times tomorrow. Because one woman prayed. One woman prayed. One woman sought the Lord and it impacted not only her children's lives but the life of a whole nation and is impacting around the world even to this day because one woman put an apron over her head and prayed. Let me read this in closing. <clears throat> Picture an old woman with a halo of silvered hair, the hot tears flowing down her furrowed cheeks, her worn hands busy over a washboard in a room full of poverty, in a room of poverty, praying for her son John. John who ran away from home in his teens to become a sailor. John of whom, whom it was now reported that he had become a very wicked man. Praying, praying always that her son might be of service to God. 
The mother believed in two things, the power of prayer and the reformation of her son. And God answered the prayer by working a miracle in the heart of John Newton, who at that time was a slave trader and a blasphemous, foul-mouthed individual. And that's his own testimony. But God marvelously saved him. That's why he wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. John Newton, the sailor preacher, among the thousands of men and women he brought to Christ, was Thomas Scott, cultured, selfish, self-satisfied. But because of the washtub prayers, another miracle was worked, and Thomas Scott used both his pen and his voice to lead thousands of unbelieving hearts to Christ. Among them, a dyspeptic, melancholic young man, William Cooper by name, he too was washed in the cleansing blood. In a moment of inspiration, he wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And these songs have brought countless thousands to the man who died in Calvary. All this resulted because a mother took God at his word and prayed that her son's heart may become as white as the soap suds in the wash tub. <laughs> we have every reason in the world to pray, haven't we? if we believe that our prayers can work, if we believe that God hears our prayers, and if we don't be encouraged, read the scriptures, read the stories, see that God still is in the business of answering prayer. Sometimes we have to pray a long time. Sometimes the answer is immediate, but more often it's a journey. And we keep trusting and we keep believing for God to do what only God can do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come into your presence to approach your throne room, to come to that mercy seat to find help in time of need. And Lord, each of us in our own way as we come to you, hear our prayers. Lord, we ask you today. We have petitions. We have supplications. We have general prayers. We have specific prayers. There are needs not only in our lives, but in the lives of our loved ones and our friends and family members and neighbors and people in church that we know that are struggling Lord, we pray to you. We ask, Lord, that you would minister and touch and bless and heal. Lord, that you would break through in these areas. Thank you for the privilege, O oh God. Lord, that you would hear our prayers, that you would listen to our prayers. Ordinary five-eighths people like us, Lord, that you would listen to each of us and answer our prayers. So we give you thanks today and we bless you for every single answered prayer. And Lord, we look forward to the expectation of more answered prayer in Jesus' name. So we bless you and we thank you for all that you've done for us and above all that you've saved our eternal souls, we who did not deserve anything from you. We have nothing to boast in ourselves, nothing. Our boast is in the Lord who saved us. And so we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.